I want to read to you uh, a scripture verse this morning, and you can glance at it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but uh, it's a challenging little verse that comes uh, in the scriptures from Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Father in heaven, I do pray that you'll help us to understand your word and your spirit will apply it. Lord, we want to do your word today. So make it uh, so plain and clear to us that uh, we can put it into practice. For I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. That passage said to be as shrewd as snakes. Now, to me, that means we need to think like a snake thinks. I don't know how snakes think. So I can't really help us there, but, you know, I thought it would be good to teach you how to think like a cowboy, and for some people, that's about as low as snakes. Okay? And maybe it gets close to what Jesus is talking about in a way of wisdom. So I, what I want to talk about this morning is, is how, to, uh, how you can uh, think like a cowboy. And in order to uh, give you a little uh, background on that, I wanted to read a, a passage uh, from uh, my book that just came out last week, Cowboy for a Rainy Afternoon. And let me set the scene for this particular book. This, this particular book is set in 1954 in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And it is about a man who is looking back on this date. Uh, he's grown now, but he was 10 years old in 1954. And on that day, he went with his grandpa down to a, a downtown Albuquerque hotel, an old hotel called the Matador. And he went with his grandpa because on that, those days, his grandpa went down to the hotel and played cribbage with some of his old cowboy buddies. These old cowboys in their 80s and 90s were... You know, living in a hotel, that's, the, that's where they lived. That was the end of the road for them. And uh, so they lived in the hotel. This little boy went with his grandpa, and the old men were going to play cribbage. As this little boy sat around with the old men, he got to hear stories about what it was like to be a cowboy. Now, in 1954, if you were 10 and the man telling you the stories was 90, he was there. He rode the West when it was wild. And uh, so he got to hear those stories, and in the midst of those stories, there's an adventure, and the little guy gets to go with these old cowboys and uh, participate in an adventure in Albuquerque in 1954. That's the book, Cowboy for a Rainy Afternoon. But they're telling stories about the old days, and uh, this is a particular story about uh, they had been pushing some bulls, Mexican bulls, up from Mexico to a ranch in, in uh in New Mexico, and uh, several of them that were sitting around that room had been on this uh, drive when they were pushing those bulls. Bronk leaned over the chair and spit in the brass spittoon. We was getting paid to herd them bulls. I didn't figure there was anything else to do. Shorty's hands flailed as if orchestrating each word. Now, Hachita don't need no excuse to get riled, but Ortiz had to hold that gum town to back up his hand. About a hundred guns drew to our five. And Ortiz claimed that he wouldn't give us a penny because we treated him so poorly, Quirt added. I figured it was time to settle up with the good Lord, Cousy admitted. 
Bronk plopped his massive hand on my knee. Courage has to be tempered with wisdom, little brother. We'd have backed off and pondered a different plan, but Pop was insistent. Shorty stared me right in the eyes. Your granddaddy stormed up to Ortiz nose to nose, both of them with guns drawn. He said, Bill, you ain't treating us square. We came for them bulls. They legally belong to Scoop Randall, and you know it. So I reckon that's what we're going to do. My head spun as Coosie spoke. Ortiz growled, El Diablo, you will, Pop. I'll shoot you before you get to the gate if you try to take my bulls. I could barely speak. What, what did you do, Granddaddy? Granddaddy rubbed his clean-saving chin. Well, I was young and opinionated, little brother. I had to do what was right. Quirt then explained. Pop said, Bill, you pull that trigger and you and me both will die today. Now, as for me, I'm only one step away from Mama and Daddy and heaven, and I'm anxious to see what it's like. And I have the sweetest sister a man ever had, and she's there too, and some days I get to missing all of them a lot. So if you pull that trigger, you'd just be sending me to glory, but where will you go, Bill? Did you ever ponder what you are one step away from? Ortiz roared back at him. You're crazy, Pop. Them bulls aren't worth dying for. Shorty jumped in when Quirt took a breath. And your granddaddy said, I was hired to do a job, and if a man can't be trusted to do a job, he ain't worth much. So I'll do my job, Bill, and you do yours, and we'll let the Lord judge things. How's that? Then Pop rode straight for the corral, Quirt said. Me and the boys hurried to mount and ride with him. Ortiz and the whole town was on foot, run alongside, pointing their guns at us the whole way. I learned to pray that day, boys, Shorty admitted. I just kept saying, Lord, if you come for Pop, how about taking the rest of us, too? The guards threw carbines to the shoulders, Bronk declared, but Pop waved him off and opened the gate. I truly expected old Bill to shoot, which would have been a signal to the others, Quirts admitted. <laughs> so did I, boys, Granddaddy replied. But it got quiet, Bronk continued. Only Crazy Alice was mumbling to herself like she always did. Everyone else was just holding his breath and watching. Coosey raised his hand as if asking for a turn. Someone from town hollered, Bill, ain't you going to shoot him? Then Shorty chimed in. Ortiz said, nope. Bronk picked it up. How come someone else shouted? And I can still hear Ortiz's words, Quirt said. Old Bill said, because I know what it's like to have a sweet sister, and I don't aim to disappoint her today. Coosey shook his head. Bill just turned around and mounted that black stallion of his and rode south. And we pushed them wild bulls north as fast as we could trot. I didn't feel safe until we crossed the railroad tracks. I ain't never forget them words, Pop, Quirt said. I never met a man so anxious to get to heaven. How does a cowboy think? I want to tell you that cowboys are simple, and cowboys are practical, and cowboys are blunt. And so when a cowboy looks at Scripture, he approaches it with a simple mind, and with a practical mind, and with a blunt mind. Now, when I say cowboys are uh, simple, I don't mean to say that they're unintelligent. I mean, they just focus everything down into black and white. They, they look at stuff in a clear view. For instance, let me set you up with a scenario. Let's say, <coughs> let's say you're out on the street, and uh, in the Old West, you've got a gun on your hip, and you're minding your own business, and... Uh, and uh, you're just come out of the grocery store and you're, you're walking down the street and all of a sudden somebody hollers that the bank has been robbed. 
and you take a look at the bank in the grocery store, and there's a narrow alleyway that's only about, about this wide between the, the bank and the grocery store, and you see four riders, mass riders, coming right up from the back alley, right up between those two buildings, right at you. And you know in a flash, those are the, the bank robbers. What do you do? Now, for a cowboy, it's, it's pretty simple. Someone is asked for help. Help, the bank's been robbed. That means you got to do something. you got four riders coming right straight at you. All of them have guns pulled, and uh, they're riding between those two buildings. What do you do? You shoot the horse. What happens when you shoot the horse? They're all stuck between two buildings. They can't get out. They can't turn a horse around and back up. And uh, you just step aside and let them shoot all they want to because all they can do is shoot down that little narrow path. The cowboy thinks that way. Simple. Shoot the horse. You don't think that way because you love horses. <laughs> and horses should be free. And they should roam over green pastures. And the cowboy just thinks that's a $10 horse. Bang. And you got all four of them. See, cow cowboys are simple. Cowboys are also practical. <laughs> Something's got to work. It's got to work. You're riding a horse, and you're going up a hill, and it's on rocks. And, and you know, the river rocks, where they're kind of slippery. And as you're going up the hill, the hill gets slippery. It gets steeper, and the rocks are slippery. And you can't, uh, pretty soon the horse is starting to slip. I mean, even though he's got four feet to be on the ground, He's starting to slip. And so you figure it's probably safer if I get down. So you get down and you start walking up the hill. And you realize this hill is really steep and boots are not good hiking attire. And uh, those boots are slippery and I can barely make it up this hill. And I got to get my horse up this hill. How are we both going to get up there safe? Cowboy's real practical. You just go around the back of the horse and you grab the horse's tail. And you slap it in a rump, and he keeps going, and he pulls you all the way up. Because a horse will not kick when he's going up a steep incline. Horse is smart enough to know, if I kick, I'm falling. He don't kick. And you grab the tail, and he'll pull you clear to the top. Cowboys are simple, and they're practical, and they're blunt. I was reading a description not too long ago about, uh, I was reading an account about a lady bank robber in the Old West, and they, there aren't many lady bank robbers in the Old West, but I was reading an account, and this lady uh, robbed a bank and come running out and running through the crowd and down through town and something. And anyway, they were, they were trying to get a, a, a picture of what did this lady look like who robbed a bank. And so they asked one of the cowboys who had been sitting out on a porch what this lady looked like. And here's how he described her. He said, well... She had blonde, curly hair, looked like a sheep that hadn't been shown. But in the face, she reminded me of a hog getting primped up for the county fair. <laughs> but she, she walked like a mule with splints. That's pretty blunt. But you know what? You can find that lady somewhere. <laughs> you don't confuse her with somebody else, do you? See, cowboys are simple, and they're practical, and they're blunt. So I, wanna, I want us to just kind of get a little picture of how to think like a cowboy, and we'll take four different areas and, uh, 
And uh, I'll give you an idea so you can learn along the way how to, how to think like a cowboy. If you ask a cowboy, how would you compare the religions of the world? Now, for a cowboy, that's a complete waste of time, and he'll tell you that. Comparing religions of the world, a complete waste of time. He doesn't take courses in world religions. He doesn't read books about Islam. He doesn't pay any attention to the young men with narrow ties who come to the door and want to tell him about their faith. For the cowboy, a verse comes along like, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. That's it. It's all over. There's no discussion. What did Jesus say? No one comes to the Father but through me. That eliminates everything else. I spent a lot of years reading philosophy and world religions because I had to. But I want to tell you, it's a complete waste of time. And uh, for the cowboy, anything but Jesus is a complete waste of time because Jesus said it real clear. There aren't anything else. I, I'm sorry, I cannot quote to you the wisdom of Buddha or the wisdom of Confucius, or the wisdom of Muhammad, or anyone else. I don't know a whole lot uh, about Mary Baker Eddy, and I don't know a whole lot about Joseph Smith. But I can tell you a lot about Jesus. And uh, when I first read that verse, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, no one come by the Father but by me, I just eliminated a bunch of stuff I don't need to read. I don't really care. It's simple. It's simple. So a cowboy thinks in simple terms. If Jesus says the only way, that's it. It's the only way. Now, you either believe in him or you don't, but if you do, that eliminates a lot of stuff in this world. Cowboy is simple and practical and blunt. Here's another question. You ask a cowboy, what is your uh, definition or what is your uh, view on the inspiration of Scripture? In cowboy thought, he doesn't debate the inspiration of Scripture. I will not tell you about the Graf Wilhelmsen theory and how many different strains of the first five books of the Bible there are and whether this is the G strain or the P strain or the E strain. I will not debate with you whether there was one Isaiah or two Isaiahs or three Isaiahs or six Isaiahs. I don't really give a squat about those theories. You see, I, I don't even care who wrote the book of Hebrews. I don't care who wrote the book of Hebrews. All I know is, is that true? All I know is that I can understand enough to do it. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Right here. Everything I need is right here. Um, if there is anything written in this world that contradicts this, whatever's written is wrong. That's easy. That's simple. That is practical. That is blunt. Everything else is wrong. This is always right. Now, you can, now that doesn't mean cowboys can understand everything. There's a whole lot in this book that I don't understand. You know what the problem is? Is there's so much I do understand that I'm having trouble doing all of that. And I'm glad the Lord doesn't let me understand it all because I'd be way behind. It's tough enough just doing the part I understand. And uh, so he reveals a little bit of time, gives me a new challenge. 
Jen and I have been Christian 37 years now, and uh, um, we haven't come to a plateau yet. We're still climbing that hill and uh, trying to obey each part of it that we can come to. So the cowboy view of the word is pretty simple. It's true. And when, when I first came to Christ, uh, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know things about this. Now, some of you know theology schools, and you know lines of theology, and uh, you know about the inspiration of Scripture and the battle for the Bible and all of those things. I, uh, I once sat next to uh, uh, Harold Lindsell right after he wrote the Bible, battle for the Bible back in the late 60s, early 70s. But, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is when I came to the Lord and I realized that this is his word, all I needed to know is this is true and I ought to do it. And so anything I find in here, it's true, and I ought to do it. That's, that's as simple as it gets. Um, um, I need help understanding it at times, and I need people to preach and people to teach and the Holy Spirit to, to open up my spirit so I can understand it. But uh, it's pretty simple. This is the Word of God, and uh, God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Simple, practical, and, uh, and uh, blunt to us. Here's, here's another area. Why was mankind placed on this earth? Isn't that a philosophical question? My goodness, why was mankind placed on this earth? <sighs> you ever read John Paul Sartre's Existentialism? How about John Stuart Mill, Mill's Utilitarianism? Yeah, I have read them all. I had a clab class on <laughs> Hobbes and Barclay, Lord Barclay, and Descartes. Oh, yeah, Descartes. I've read them all. Totally worthless. As is Karl Marx and any other modern philosopher that you can talk about. I can read Shakespeare and I can rattle off Latin Proverbs. But none of them hold a candle to the crisp, clear power of God's Word. And what does God's Word say our purpose here on earth is? <laughs> now, for me, it is simple and practical and blunt. God's purpose is Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, <laughs> that's a verse you live when it first impacted me that that was a verse I was supposed to live, uh, you know, that was the first thing I wanted to think of every morning. And being uh, impetuous, I guess you'd call it, I made a poster, a great big poster, handwritten poster. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, you know, and his righteousness and all these things be added unto you. You know where I put the poster? I put it on the ceiling over our bed. Because when I woke up in the morning... That's the first thing I saw. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to tell you how simple that phrase can guide your entire life. You have a things to do list. Hopefully here at, at, at Maranatha, you throw that out and you don't have to worry about it. When you get home, you have a things to do list. So you get up in the morning, you have your things to do list. What does that verse tell you? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These are added things. That's not the primary thing. It's not the reason you're here on earth. 
I know your little child does not believe that the reason you're on earth is not to serve them, but truth of the matter is, that's not your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is to seek God in his kingdom. That's your purpose. Uh, you can set aside everything else. Everything else is added. I love that. All these things will be added unto you. In that passage, in the context, he's talking about clothing and food and necessities. All of that will be added. So, you know, if you're seeking first the kingdom of God, your job is an added thing. Uh, your family is an added thing. That's hard to understand, but your family isn't something that he adds to your life. Uh, you, you, you know, a lot of people ask me about being a writer. You know, everybody, everybody wants to be a writer. Irma Bombeck had a wonderful column years ago about she met a man who did not want to write a book. She just couldn't believe it. He did not want to write a book. She said, we were at a cocktail party, and he was the hit. Everybody crowded around him because he was the only one in the room that did not want to write a book. And they would ask him questions. And when did you decide you didn't want to write a book? <laughs> and, and what kind of training does it take to not want to write a book? And, uh, and she just went on and on about how, how surprising it was. Somebody didn't want to write a book. And then at the end of her column, she said she was shocked and dismayed months later to see in a bookstore how not to write a book by this man. <laughs> but people come up to me and want to know, you know, how do I become a writer? And I tell them, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's an added thing. Writing is an added thing. God's going to add wonderful things to your life. Uh, that, that's his business. That's his purpose, to add wonderful things to your life. Our purpose, seek him. Seek his righteousness. Keep him focused. It's simple. It's practical. It's blunt. Seek you first the kingdom of God. Now, you know, uh, I could write a book on my philosophy of life, but it'd only be one sentence. And it would, that would be it. Cowboys are simple and practical and blunt. How about a question like this? Uh, how can you understand the complexities of this world? I mean, you, you read a newspaper, there are still a few of us older people who read newspapers, and uh, you read a newspaper, you look at the news on TV, you have a 24-hour news channel, you uh, get out your iPod and read the, the latest headlines as it comes flashing up, and you say to yourself, the world's, the world's a, a mess. I mean, there's all sorts of things. I mean, uh, there's conflicts in Iraq and in Afghanistan and I don't have a clue what's going on really in Iran, and there's all of that mess, and then there's North Korea, and, and there's, uh, what do they say? There's something like 27 wars going on right now on the face of this planet with people against people fighting and killing and dying. I think, uh, you know, the world's a mess. And then you, you think about the, the, the headlines um, uh, more locally, and, and you see the violence and the crimes and the, the serial killers and the, People going few, uh, free and, uh, and the child abuse. And, you know, you see all of this stuff. How do you understand it? How do you understand it? Well, if you approach it like a cowboy, it's going to be simple. It's going to be practical. It's going to be blunt. If you approach it like a cowboy, you come to John chapter 10, verse 10. Now, you've all memorized the last half of that verse. But I want to remind you of the first half of the verse, too. In John 10, 10, it says, A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it.
to the full. The thief that Jesus mentions is the evil one. The thief that Jesus mentioned is Satan himself. And Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. So when you read the headlines and when you see the news, if there's stealing and there's killing and there's destroying, you know where it comes from. It comes from the evil one. That's what he does. Jesus comes to give life, to give it full, to give it purpose, to give it abundance, to give it meaning. Every world event can be divided between those two. It comes from one place or another. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. It is simple. It is practical. Um, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And uh, we see a lot of that going on today. It's the thief that's behind it all. And we need to understand that, separate that, hold on to that. Here's a, uh, a fifth time. This, to give you an example of the way a cowboy thinks. Do you have any theories, you might ask a cowboy, about what happens after death? Do you have any theories? I don't have any theories about what happens after death. I got some facts, but I don't have any theories. I can't explain to you reincarnation or a pool of souls or a universal spirit or the force is with you. I know that I'm not coming back to earth as a dumb sheep. And I'm sure I have never been here on this earth before because I don't have any scars of having been bucked off when I came into this world. But I want to tell you, I do know something about what happens. I know for a fact I know for a fact that everybody lives forever. We are created in the image of God, and he put that image eternally in us, and we are created to live forever. And this life isn't about whether you live forever or not. This life is about where you live forever, because there are two places. In the scripture, hell is not empty. And it's not going to be empty. The scriptures say in Revelation 20:15, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, I told you and I warned you as I got started. <laughs> I warned you that cowboys are uh, simple and practical and blunt. And uh, to say there's a heaven and an eternal hell is pretty blunt. To say that you and your loved ones and your neighbors are going to be in one place or the other is pretty blunt. And sometimes it's tough for us to accept. We have misguided notions about heaven. We have misguided notions about hell. One of the stupidest things we ever think of about hell is that Satan is in charge of hell. Satan is not in charge of hell. He is thrown into hell. God is in charge of hell. He's in charge of what it's like and who's there. God's in charge of heaven. He's in charge of what it's like, and he's in charge of who's there. So, for a cowboy, to think like a cowboy, and I started out saying I could not tell you how to be as 
shrewd as a serpent, but I was going to tell you how to think like a cowboy. For a cowboy, the scriptures are simple, and they're practical, and they're real blunt. If it says, do it, then we do it. And it doesn't take a, a, a lot of uh, pondering to wonder what it really means. Let me uh, finish up by sharing another passage from the book, Cowboy for a Rainy Afternoon. Uh, kind of gives an idea of uh, that cowboy philosophy and, and how it's lived out in real lives. Grandpa pulled off his gold wireframe spectacles and rubbed the bridge of his long, thin nose. I knew he was going to preach a little, so I opened the lid of the cigar box and studied the fake jewels. He cleared his throat. I recollect me and Shorty sitting in the saddle and listening to Christmas carols sung at that one-room church on the outskirts of Hobbs. We spent half the night talking about Jesus. I ain't never forgot that night, Pop, Shorty said. And I remember Quirt coming to terms with the Lord when he found out about that cancer. But for the rest of you, I told you about Jesus and I've prayed for you. And so I reckon that's all I can do. At times I feel like a failure, but each of us has got to be accountable for ourselves. So I need to let it go at that. Pop, you know our past, Thad said. It ain't pretty. Yep, and that's why I'm telling you it ain't too late for any of you. Pop, do you remember that Winchester 73 carbine that we dug up? out of the creek bed at the base of the mountain near Clayton, Bronk said. Well, it wasn't much of a gun, Granddaddy replied. Well, that's my point, Bronk continued. It was the rustiest gun I ever saw. Me and Pop dug it out by, our, by hand so careful as if it were some valuable treasure. The wood was gone, of course, but the metal was there. It was the first model with mortise dust cover and, and uh, no safety on the lever. So we pondered all the gunfights it must have seen and who might have carried it. It was the rustiest piece of metal I've ever seen in my life. We even considered giving it to the Cowboy Museum in Lincoln. I went to hand it to Pop and it slipped out of my hand. And when that rusty thing hit the campfire rocks, it shattered as if it were made out of thin glass. Well, for a while, we just stared at that pile of rust. It used to be a gun. And then Pop pulled off his stets and held it over his heart. From dust it came and to dust it will return, he said. Bronk grinned and shook his head. It was way beyond help. Wasn't nothing left to do but kick dirt over it. Well, Pop, I don't know about the other boys, but that's me. Too much has gone on in my life. Each one of them, Sim, just eats away at me until there's nothing left redeemable. Ain't much left to do but kick a little dirt over me. I listened to the air-slapping noise of the overhead fan, and somewhere out on Central Avenue, a car honked. I felt as uncomfortable as sitting in the front row at a tent revival meeting. Granddaddy stretched his long legs in front of him, and I reckon that was the first time I noticed how slick the knees of his wool trousers had become. And he looked around and said, Bronk, your story is almost right, but let me set it straight. You boys ain't Winchester 73s. Shoot, when Coosie was born, there wasn't any 73s, Shorty hooted. That's right, Granddaddy said. The Creator made you better than that. I think by comparison, all of you are like a Winchester 66. What do you mean, Pop? Do you ever dig up a 66, boys? Not that I remember. Well, the wood's all gone, just like the 73, and the barrel is, at best, good for nothing more than a tent peg, but, ah, oh, the receiver. You see, in a 66, it's tarnished dark green because brass don't rust. 
you can buff that receiver up a bit and the mustard patina jumps right out at you and the gun can be rebuilt and it will last forever if it's taken care of. And I reckon that's where you are. The Lord don't see you as going back to dirt, boys. He sees you as shiny brass that he can polish up to a new life. Are you goading us again, Pop? Shorty asked. If you feel prodded, Shorty, it's the shovel of the Lord. He's digging you up and intends on restoring you. You don't have to clean up anything. That's his job. All you got to do is believe Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did. Well, now you're sounding like my mama, Bronk said. Well, what would your dear mama say if she heard that you were trusting Jesus down here? A grin broke across Bronk's pockmarked face. I reckon she'd shout glory up and down the streets of heaven. Are you dumping mama's guilt on us, Pop? Coozie asked. No, boys, you're doing that yourself. You don't do it for me and you don't do it for your mama. She won't be able to stand to your side on Judgment Day. That's a trail we'll have to ride down by ourselves. Do it because it's the right thing to do, because it's true. Just don't tell me lies about you being too far gone to redeem. It just ain't so. I listened to the thwap, thwap, thwap of the ceiling fan and noticed a couple of them wiped the tears from their eyes, and Court Payton busted out of the blanket of silence. Well, Dad, gummit pop, why don't you just speak your mind and not beat around the bush? That's the way a cowboy thinks. Simple, impractical, and direct. And I think it's the way that Jesus wants us to think when he says, be shrewd as snakes. Amen and amen. Father in heaven, Lord, we get caught up. We live in a highly technical time, and uh, our knowledge has increased. Lord, we know things. We know things today that we couldn't even dream of 10 years ago, and now we know them. And uh, new things are coming out all the time, Lord, and we're trying to keep up. And we're trying to think, and we're trying to uh, think through everything. We like to think of ourselves as educated people, Lord. We like to think of ourselves as being wise, and, and then your word comes along, and it's just simple and practical and blunt to us. Lord, help us not to get caught up with our own knowledge and just enjoy the direct word from you. Lord, this is your word, and we want to do it. Help us with that. We ask in Jesus' name.